forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Yeah. Whoa, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and my hair is getting more and more gray. Hey, I'm Gabe Don. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and me too. <laughs> yes, it's all happening. I love it. I don't hate it, but I, I've been like dyeing my hair. And so then I can like really track how far my hair, my hair grows so fast. Yeah, I do know that about you. Yeah. I am, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, you're going to look good with the salt and pepper. Oh, I'm going to look, listen. Okay, so I'm 34 now. Let's say. No, you're not. 35. Jesus. Oh my God. I'm 35. <laughs> okay. Wow. I'm 35. And my boyfriend's been on testosterone for six years and I think he looks great. And I've been on testosterone for one year. So my thing is, as I get more on testosterone, I'm going to, and, and at the same time, my hair is going to be going salt and pepper. I'm thinking 41 or 40. Ooh. I'm going to be the hottest I've ever been. Yeah. I'll be able to just fully fulfill my daddy vibes. Like I'll be, I'll be like, I already feel like daddy and now I'm going to look like daddy. I don't really know what that means, but I'm, I'm happy for you. Right. Are you going to let your hair go gray at all? Uh, I don't know. I, I've been dyeing it really dark, which was fun, but I feel like I kind of want to go closer to my natural, like medium brown. Yeah. I like when your hair is dark though. It's giving Betty Page. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what to do for the wedding. I might try to do like closer to my natural because then I don't know I'll, I'll be like oh it's me you know sure but yeah. I'm not sure but I think it's you when you have the I like when you have the the dark hair and the bangs are a little shorter and you do the red lip Ooh, thank you right I'm like oh pin up <laughs> this is just between us a variety show filled with heartfelt advice ridiculous games and brutal honesty that's sometimes just lovely compliments yeah <laughs> I'm going to get um, darker, like dark rim glasses more, I think. And then so I'm going to look into doing that. That's the next set of glasses I'm going to get. And then I'm going to have my hair go gray. And then I'm just going to be, I just, I feel like it's going to be giving Papa Professor. Are you going to wear a lot of cardigans? Well, yeah, maybe. I hate a man in a cardigan. Oh, wow. Melissa just gasped. I know. I don't think I would wear a cardigan. I think I, I'm really thriving in sort of a button down era. Yeah, yeah. I don't like a man in a cardigan and John loves to wear a cardigan. John, okay, I can I just say I really like John's fashion. Really? Yeah, he's got those like cable knit sweaters and like or like not he's he's got like um what are those like a pullover sweater that he was wearing at my brunch, like the gray, it was a gray maybe. Oh, yeah, he's got some nice like uh, thinner sweaters. sweaters, yeah. Little he's boat got shoes. very good style. The only thing I don't like is the cardigans. He's giving like it's very like nice boy East Coast kind of like. He's very preppy. Preppy. That's yeah, what it is. Which is funny because I ran, I tried to run away from it, but it sucked me back in. He's extremely preppy. He's, if he didn't have his smile, he would be like the villain in a rom-com. <laughs> but he's just got such a friendly smile. <laughs> he does. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a great episode for everyone today. We're going to be talking to Kay Ravishandran all about non-binary sports. Kay won the Boston Marathon this year in the non-binary division, and it's fucking dope. And later, we'll be talking about hypermobility spectrum disorder and whether or not I have it. <laughs> yeah, so all, all EDS hive rise up. <laughs> well, 
Hypermobility hive. Hypermobility hive. Now's your time. <laughs> but first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Jazz, the UK. Hi, Allison and Gabe and Melissa. I love how everyone now includes Melissa in the emails. It's so awesome. They spell your name wrong, but it's still so nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Jazz, she, her, from the UK, international, baby. TLDR, is it toxic that I quite like situationships? No. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> How can I tell if I'm being healthy or just clinging to old patterns? First off, I have to say thank you, Allison and Gabe, for being in my life since I was 15. Your balance of silly and serious is exactly what I need, and the JBU podcast is one of the best parts of my week. I would listen to a new episode every day if I could. Oh my, oh my God. God. I'm going to cry. Okay. That's so sweet. So basically, I'm queer. And since I was a teenager, I'm now in my early 20s. I found myself in confusing situationships with my queer friends, which basically involves a lot of flirty banter, sexual tension, and a strong attachment more than your average friendship. But in every one of these situations, there's been a reason not to go any further. Example, being closeted, another relationship, being housemates, etc. A couple of these situations ended up being very messy. So I thought that I needed to stop getting myself into them. Did I write this letter? <laughs> but recently, I've done it again, and I'm not mad about it. This time, it's with a girl I met while traveling, so there's a time limit on how long we can spend together, who's in an open relationship. I have some confusions about the specifics of the openness, but I plan to try and clarify it soon. My friends have told me they think I'm causing myself unnecessary stress or holding myself back from other things, but I'm not in a place where I want a monogamous relationship and doesn't any kind of dating come with a bit of stress and confusion. I think I've learned a lot since I was a teenager. I now know that a lot of my stress in these situations comes from not acknowledging it and not being clear on boundaries. I also find any feelings in general quite confusing and stressful, but I've been trying to teach myself not to push them away. So my question is, is it healthy that I'm embracing these situations and trying to enjoy them despite the extra stress? Or am I trying to find excuses to stick to old unhealthy habits? Whether or not you answer this, thank you so much for everything you do. All the best, Jazz. Literally did I write this. <laughs> and also somehow you end up picking questions that are like about my life. I don't like know her, how, like currently. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you, you do it, but you definitely have done it multiple times. Ooh, maybe I'm psychic. Uh, I think a little bit. Really? Yeah, maybe. Oh my God. That'd be so exciting for me. Melissa, Melissa says, says no. no. <laughs> okay. That's the title of our, of our spinoff spin podcast. podcast. Melissa, says, Melissa no. says no. <laughs> it's just me and you saying outlandish stuff and Melissa going, no. Yeah. Things we believe about ourselves or the world that she's like, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> Okay, like you being like, I hate a man in a cardigan and her being like, that's going to be a no. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I think if the only thing is, and you're so aware of it and you know, is that you need to have clarity around the situation and like what the boundaries are and what the actual situation is. So like, for example, knowing that this person has been is traveling and you're only going to see them for a certain amount of time or, you know, this person um, is in an open relationship and here are the boundaries around that open relationship. Like just being very um, communicative, like the big difference between what you were doing when you were younger and now seems to be like a willingness to be communicative and specific and direct about what's going on. 
And I think that's totally fine. I don't think everybody needs to follow the same relationship patterns that have been set forth for us by society. That being said, am I a hypocrite who uh, has problems sometimes uh, getting clarity about what a situation is? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So look, I'm I'm a monogamous girl who's wanted to be married since day one. And I realize that is not for everyone. Like there are so many different types of things people like that people feel comfortable with, that people gravitate towards in different times of their life. And if you're in your early 20s and you're like not looking to settle Mm -hmm. down, like you absolutely don't need to. And I think that like what Gabe was saying that, you know, there there are levels of what a situation ship is and Mm -hmm. how messy it is. Right. And so I think like not giving in to, okay, I'm in a situ I'll have a situation ship with anyone. Right. Including my best friend's sister, even though my best friend was like, please don't do that. Right, right, you know? right, like, right, right. That's very different than like when it's like, okay, we're each going to kind of keep this casual. Let's have like a talk about what this is, what our boundaries are, like what we're each expecting and then go from there. And, and I really actually really appreciate it and, it and enjoyed that you made a point to say that all relationships are stressful. Right. You know, and I think that's so true. Like, I think that there is this belief that if you if you play the relationship game right, then you'll never have any negative emotions or it won't cause you any turmoil. And that's just not true. Like being in relation with another person, especially at the beginning, is going to cause anxiety, is going to cause nervousness, is going to cause some mm-hmm. uncertainty until you finally can talk it out. And I think like checking in with yourself about about each one as it's going to being like, is this crossing a line for me? Mm-hmm. Is is the amount of stress that this particular situation ship bringing me more than the last one? And right. therefore it's tipped into maybe I don't actually like this. But those are the questions we have to ask ourselves about every single relationship that we enter. Yeah, especially with queerness, I will say that it's sometimes hard to figure out lines or to figure out what exactly is going on. Like, it's a lot of fun to just have flirty banter with someone who you have no intention of doing anything with. Or sometimes there is sexual tension with people that you're like, that's funny, but like, it's not, <laughs> you know, or like, or like, I do feel like a strong attachment to certain people that I would say, like, there's like some people that I would be like, that's my friend, but I'm, but I, I'm also, there's like flirty banter and also sometimes sex stuff happens. And it's like, yeah, like that is your friend. And then and then it's also like it is like maybe the definition of a situation ship where it's just like, yeah, if, if something arises, like if we're out and people are drunk and like or like if something, you know, comes up, then it's like, oh, yeah, maybe something would happen. It's hard because I'm still at the place where I I'm like, how do I talk about this if I want to without being vulnerable in any way? So how do I? Well, you're going to have to be vulnerable. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I'm working on ways to do that. <laughs> but I also like don't want to. I know that like there's a casualness and I like keeping it that way. So like let's say it's like something where you have flirty banter, but you're not necessarily looking to hook up with the person. How do you sort of keep it just in the flirty banter zone? Or like if you are interested in someone but not in a very serious way. Is it like kind of rude to be like, I didn't really want, I I had fun, but or like, you know, like I'm, I'm not, 
You know what I mean? Like, at what point do you sort of communicate when it's not like the sit down sort of what are we? I tend to lean and this will probably disagree on this, that there should be some sort of check in before anything physical ever happens. Oops. Right. (laughs) So I think and I don't think that needs to be a 10 minute long discussion. But I think especially like before you hook up with a friend or before you hook up with someone, you know, you're going to see again. Yeah. Just being like, I really want to do this. I'm I'm pumped to do this. But I just want to like what what does this mean to you if we cross this line? And like, actually, I think that's wrong. I don't think you should put it on them. I think you should say before we cross this line, which I'm very pumped and excited to do. (laughs) I just want to let you know that I see this more as like we're we're still friends who hook up sometimes versus this meeting that we're now like in like heading towards a romantic relationship. And I just wanted to make sure that like, that's the same as what your intentions are. Yeah. But I also want spontaneous fun. But like that kind (laughs) of conversation can take place in 30 seconds. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't have to ruin everything. It doesn't need to make everything come to a screeching halt. Like, I know it's just like so strange with queerness because it's like, people are just like, Oh yeah, that's my friend. I mean, yeah, we were hooking up for three weeks, but that's my friend in a way that like I don't know that straight people do. <laughs> yeah. And and but I think, you know, I would hope that there's conversations happening around that because the thing about having a friend is you should be able to talk to them. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah. I mean, I I don't think there's anything wrong with what you're doing. I think you're having fun. I think there's something fun even just about keeping stuff to flirty banter or sexual tension or having an attachment to someone as like a friend crush. Like, oh, this yeah. is a friend that I really like. And I like the crush is like, yeah, I'm like a little more excited when they text me, but I'm not like, I don't know. Waiting outside their home 10 hours a day. Yeah, exactly. Right, <laughs> exactly. I think, yeah, I think it is just about what are the ratios here? Like what is the cost, the cost, harm, benefit? Sure. Like what, you know, like, and and not thinking that like, yeah, like just looking at each individual situation and being like, is the negative impact that this is having on my life significant where I should think of reassess it or think about it? But if not, like live, let live, have fun. And if it's a lesson in um, relinquishing control, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the future will bring. You don't know. Like, you know, it's like relinquishing the control of of being like, well, I have to know right now. Like if this is going to like turn into something. Yeah, yeah. I think the only unethical part of situationships are when you know that you explicitly want different things. Yes. that Yeah, exactly. But I also think that it can get icky if you suspect that is true and therefore avoid talking about it. Yeah, I agree. So I think having like blunt conversations from the beginning and throughout just to make sure everyone's on the same page, then you're good to go, baby. Yeah, before I make out with a random person at a gay bar, I'm like, wait, are we on the same page? (laughs) The context matters. I know, I'm joking. A random person is very different than making out with your friend for the first time. Yeah. You know. I know, it's just funny. (laughs) Well, hopefully that helps. If you want to submit an international question, you can send an email to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Kay Ravichandran. So stay tuned. Hi everyone, Allison here. 
Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books, and that is why I am so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options. Shipping is always free. And with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment. And she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out. And she's, she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic, trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right up my alley and I love it so much. So if you want to take part in book of the month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. Turtles All the Way Down is the acclaimed number one bestseller by John Green, author of The Fault in Our Stars and Paper Towns. Turtles All the Way Down is now streaming on Max. NPR named the novel a, quote, sometimes heartbreaking, always illuminating glimpse into how it feels to live with mental illness. Aza Holmes never intended to pursue the disappearance of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett, but there's a $100,000 reward at stake and her best and most fearless friend Daisy is eager to investigate. So together, they navigate the short distance and broad divides that separate them from Pickett's son, Davis. Aza is trying. She's trying to be a good daughter, a good friend, a good student, and maybe even a good detective, while also living with the ever-tightening spiral of her own thoughts. Turtles All the Way Down is a brilliant novel about love, resilience, and the power of lifelong friendship. As someone with OCD, it is so wonderful to see OCD represented in an incredible book. I think it is so important that we talk about mental illness, both in our own lives and through narrative. Buy your copy of Turtles All the Way Down in stores today and catch the movie streaming on Max. between us it's time for the juiciest most scandalous most controversial segment known to all of podcasting tough questions this week on the show we have k ravi chandran a medical student at the university of vermont who won the non-binary division of the 2023 boston marathon hello hi it's good to see y'all oh my goodness okay let's get into it so is this your first marathon what's the history of you in marathons So I started running marathons after, well, I graduated college and then the pandemic happened and then I started running marathons. So there was a little bit of a break in there, but yeah, I've been running since I was 14. 
And now I'm 25, so that makes it 11 years, 12 years. Wow. Were you running in marathons before there were non-binary divisions? Yes, I was. The first marathon that I ran, I was actually like really annoyed, but like I was like, I don't want to deal with the hassle. So I entered like in the men's division, which I, yeah, I did not like that. Was there any recourse or anything available at that time or what marathon was it? And like, why were you, you were like, well, I really still want to run this, right? Yeah, I think my biggest thing was like, I need to qualify for Boston because that's what everybody wants to do, like in the running world. Like you have to get under that like magic, like three hours or three and a half hours to get that like Boston qualifying time. And I originally signed up for the Vermont City Marathon, but then that got canceled slash turned into a half marathon because of COVID. Mm. So then they said that they could transfer my registration over to another marathon, which was the Hartford Marathon in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Um, And they did not have a non-binary division. And I was like, okay, this sucks, but I still want to run it because I've done this much training and now it's only like three weeks out. And Mm -hmm. yeah. When did marathons start having non-binary divisions? I'm sure there are like, there have been marathons that have had it like over the past 10 years, but there were a group of people who like set up an organization and they contacted all the big like marathons like Boston, Chicago, Berlin, New York. And they started having non-binary divisions in like August of 2022. So wow, like, so very recent. Very recently. Yeah, because I'm curious. So what were the rules before? Was it that you picked what you identified with or you were forced to do what what sex you were assigned at birth? How did it used to work for, for trans and non-binary people before, you know, 2022? It's up to the whims of the race director. For Boston, I know that you were able to compete as the gender you identify as, provided that you've gone through HRT. Um, for other marathons, it's like you need HRT plus like surgery, which I don't think Whoa. actually changes anything at all. And then for some marathons, it is like, the gender you identify as. And it's just really up to the whims of the race director. And there are some that are like, you have to like run as the sex assigned at birth, which is horrible. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, do you know like what the reasoning is for each, like each one, or it's just kind of like, like it depends on who the person is running it and how they personally feel? (laughs) Or do they have any sort of like rule book that they're going by? It's probably the rule book that their, like, governing body goes by. Whoever is, like, on their board can sort of, like, vote on it. Ugh. So it's, it's, really, it's really on the whims of, like, the cisgendered heterosexual people that are on these, like, board of directors. So what did it mean for you to go from one year having to run in the wrong category to there now being a non-binary uh, division? I was just so much more excited to, like, run in the race. My, I actually ended up running Boston um, in 2022, and it was just like a horrible experience because I wasn't able to register as the gender that I identified as, and I was just like so stressed about it because like I wanted to like dress a certain way and like appear a certain way and like not have those results really attached to my name online, and there were just like a whole lot of things going through my mind, and then. I was like, okay, I'm definitely not doing Boston ever again, or I'll do it like 50 years down the line. And then I heard about Boston adding a non-binary division. I was like, well, I guess I'll spend another like 200 plus dollars to sign up for this race. 
No, it's very, very expensive. It just felt so much better. And I was just so much more excited. And leading up to the race, like a bunch of the non-binary runners like connected with each other. And like, it was so cute. We had a little shakeout run before and it was amazing. How many people were there in the non-binary part of the race? I want to say like around 30. Oh, that's nice. So, I mean, before that, had you guys had the ability to connect with each other or was this like really the first way to do that? Or was there some sort of discord channel or how did you guys meet each other, know each other? There is like a, there is an app that we all use to sort of like connect with each other. And then I think from like friends and mutual friends, we've all sort of like followed each other on Instagram. So like <laughs> We see something cool on each other's stories and we're like, good job at that race. They're like, <laughs> Good job about that workout. It's just so wholesome. Like everything is just so wholesome about it. And like, I feel like it's a great network of support, even though like a lot of them I haven't met in person or have only met for that one, two days that like mm-hmm. I was there. So like, yeah, there's just a whole group of like non-binary runners and we're just, we're just thriving. So why aren't races just co-ed? <laughs> it's, it's weird. I mean, like races, most races are co-ed in that like, Everybody can start in that same time unless it's a track race, which I have like a lot of opinions on that. No, tell us. Tell us the opinions. So for track races, generally they have like a men's start and a women's start. Um, And I was actually recently consulting with um, Battle Road Track Club in Massachusetts because they put on like a meet, um, a few of the four meets every single year. And they were like, hey, like we've like heard about you and like, you've done a lot of good work in inclusion. How can we make our races more inclusive? And I was like, whoa, they're like reaching out to me and like wanting to do better. And I was like, why don't you add like a non-binary category? And they were like, well, one of the issues with that is that we're going to have like a non-binary start and that could like out people that don't want to be outed or Mm. that could add time to the meet that we don't necessarily want. And I'm like, why don't you just start everybody together? Mm -hmm. And they were like, that seems like a good idea. (laughs) <laughs> and it it was also like really cool because like some of the cis women and like the shorter like sprinting events could like run against like some of the like cis men that ran around the same time as them and like it was just better competition for them overall so it really benefited like everybody that we started everybody at the same time so yeah i'm not really sure why we why we do that um in terms of the marathons yeah everything is like gendered in terms of like scoring and I think, like, a lot of it comes down to sort of, like, a very, like, cis-normative, like, sexist, like, history of the sport. I think, like, until, like, the 1970s or 1980s, cisgendered women were not allowed to run the Boston Marathon. Um, and they didn't get equitable prize money until late in the 1980s. I don't fully remember my years, but that's not the history of it. And then 30 years later, 40 years later, we're adding a non-binary division and people were kind of like pushing back on it. Like, why do we need a non-binary division? Just mm-hmm. like they were sort of questioning why we have like a, a division for cis women. And yeah, it's, it doesn't really make sense. There are like, there are advantages that like endogenous and exogenous testosterone can give you. But I think they're sort of pale in comparison to how many more people we can get involved in the sport if we do a better job with inclusion. I mean, starting at the same time seems to be such an obvious thing that makes sense. 
I think there's maybe a paternalistic aspect to like, oh, we have to give women a bit of a head start or we have to make the times, you know, not as not as hard to reach for women or whatever it is in order for women to be, you know, visible in the sport. But the hormones of it all is actually estrogen is changing the body. I mean, you're a medical student. It's changing the body of the person to be more towards like running in a women's category versus like testosterone is changing to run in a quote unquote men's category. So the people that have issues with it, I feel like are not understanding, like they don't understand what is happening to the, to each of the bodies as they are taking different hormones. I mean, they really don't. And they only see what is sort of like publicized on the news, which is when people are successful, that's going to be publicized. Right. And it sort of leads to the thing where like trans people are sort of like vilified for being successful. Right. You can't be a trans person in sport and successful. If you're going to be a trans person in sport, you're expected to not do well, which is right. really, really weird to me, um, especially as someone who like before starting, I'm on um, estrogen and a GNRH agonist for you medically inclined folks out there, um, <laughs> which is uh, an androgen blocker. Um mm-hmm. And I've noticed that my, like, performance has declined a lot since starting estrogen and Lupron, but I'm just so much happier in the body that I'm in. Right. Um, And I've definitely seen that, like, yeah, the performances that I have, like, especially when, like, running, like, shorter distances are, like, very much in line with um, women now. Mm -hmm. And all the data out there suggests that after a year of, like, HRT, like, people are generally, like, on the same level as their affirmed gender. Right. Can you talk about the fear that surrounds trans people in sports or like what, you know, what the sort of, why has this become such a huge issue and beyond just HRT and stuff like that, like why this has become such a visible like thing to attack? I think that it's just like the next thing to attack. People don't like change. People like to be sort of stuck in their routines and stick to like what they know best. And actually in my time as a medical student, I'm currently actually in the OB-GYN like world right now. And every single like parent is like, oh, what's the, what's the gender of my child going to be? And I'm like, well, we can kind of see like the genitals on the ultrasound, but that doesn't like determine the kid's gender. But like these cisgender people are very like attached to this idea that, like, genitals determine gender. Mm-hmm. Um, when, they, when the baby comes out, they, one of the first things they look at are the baby's genitals, and they're like, yes, it's a boy, or yes, it's a girl. And it's this thing that's sort of, like, stuck to our culture that, like, this determines what path you're going to go to in your life. And people don't want to, like, they're uncomfortable sort of changing their mindset that, like, maybe things are a little bit different. But it's like also like with running, like I understand it's like times or whatever, but that's something that I feel like, how can you like running is doesn't seem that gendered to me (laughs) in particular. Yeah, I'm not like super sure. They're just honestly worried that trans women are going to dominate women's sports, Mm -hmm. which has not been the case. 
Um, and as at least in terms of like non-binary athletes, that because it's a smaller subsection of the population, cishet men are going to join the non-binary division and then win that division and get a prize. That's the fear? That is the fear that some cishet man is going to join the d- other divisions and yeah, I mean, when we think about like the way the world is laid out, I'd say that sports remains the most gendered area, right? Like, you know, maybe there are more female nurses than male nurses, but it's still, you know, like there are some things that are maybe thought of as as gender, but they're not actually in terms of the rules. Whereas with sports, it is still explicitly, you know, Major League Baseball is men, you know, and mm-hmm. so like. What do you think of the the future of sports as the gender binary is being, uh, you know, broken down more in society and or are people just never going to let go of of sports being two genders? That's a really good question. And I'm really hoping that there will be a time where we can completely like break down the gender binary in sports. There are so many like run clubs that are like mostly men or mostly women And it's really unfortunate because running is such an accessible sport for everybody. I mean, like literally anybody who like has the ability to move their legs in that way can run and can take part in running. And yeah, I just I just don't understand why like everything needs to be like so gendered, which then creates like this sort of like wall you have to jump over to be part of the sport. And it's prohibiting a lot of people to, for joining the sport because they have to identify as a certain gender in order to fit in and then compete for times. So it's 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 a time. I mean, it's almost like, okay, so is there going to be a non-binary baseball league? And then is there going to be, like, who's going to be the first trans, ma- like, trans mask baseball player? And then, you know, are they going to... And then and then I that's like such a cool future to me. And then if there's, you know, the fear of like, well, if we, you know, with Leah Thomas, it's like, oh, well, if if we let uh, trans men into the sport, then they'll dominate. But more so even like if we if we make the sport not gendered, like we say anybody can play football if they meet these standards, then they'll say, oh, well, now there's only going to be there's not going to be any women in football because there's not going to be like a women's football league. You know, there'll be like one woman on each team versus like the WNBA where, you know, the team is women. Like I can see people sort of saying, well, and and it's similar to the debate on non-binary actors too, where they're like, okay, we can create a category. We could also get rid of the genders, but then it's going to be all men you know, all the acting nominations are going to be men and there won't be any, you know, women in the act like they and it, I, it comes down to this idea that the women will not be able to compete, mm-hmm. that they just will not be able to compete in the NBA, in the MLB, whatever it is, they will not be if, if you combine it, they will simply not be able to compete. There's no world in which a WNBA player might actually be better than an NBA player, which is like a hundred percent a thing that like, if you mixed them up, it it could be pretty true. What could be true? Like that, like that, like uh, the WNBA players playing in the NBA might 
uh, be better than some of the current NBA players. Like they might get in and have the, the slots. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I just see this as being like, like the, the pessimist or realist in me. It feels like knocking down the gender barriers in, in professional sports is like going to be the last thing, you know, like even like thinking about when you're in school, like, right. you know, like sports is always separated by gender, you know? So like you're in sixth grade and like you're being forced to be on the female basketball team or the male basketball team. Like, I wonder if, if the way to start doing this is, is when kids are in growing up and, and that like making things mixed gendered from like in school and like, as like, you know, like travel soccer teams being mixed. But I mean, just to like, uh, I, I guess the thing like, and, and it's helpful that you're in the medical field. I mean, like, what is the reality? Like, I, I know that like biologically females have different strengths in their body than men do. And men have different strengths in their body. Like, you know, men tend to have better upper body strength where women tend to have better lower body strength. I mean, like, is it, can it really be equitable? And I'm not saying it can't, but just like for like to just totally mix in sports and for women to do just as well as, as biological men? I think that's definitely like an interesting question. I mean, like, I mean, the, the answer is like very twofold. If you look at the, the data in like terms of the ranges of like men's times versus like the ranges of like women's times, these are cis men and cis women, obviously. Cis men tend to have like a lower variability. Um, and cis women have tend to have like a higher variability in terms of like times. And that's like the reason for that is largely because of like how these women are coached. A lot of them are told that they're not going to be able to compete with men. Um, so they're training separately. And the ones that are allowed to compete with men and can show at a very early age that like they're faster than like everybody else, but not everybody develops at the same rate. So like you don't necessarily know like who's going to be the fastest but those mm -hmm. ones that are like in a good coaching program or ones that show like a lot of promise like really early will then be like towards like the forefront whereas like so many women will be kind of like left behind because of like coaching so I think like early when like especially like pre-puberty um in middle school and high school elementary school like these sports teams should not be gendered and then after puberty, like, some change does happen. Testosterone does provide, like, some boost. Like, I mean, like, in literally anybody, testosterone mm -hmm. prov provides a boost. But that effect goes away if you, are, you haven't been exposed to it for, like, a certain amount of time. Right. That is so interesting about coaching. You're right. It's, like, the separate coaching. I think that's the biggest factor. I mean, like, there are, like, so many, like, women that are told that, like, oh, women can't break six in the mile. And then there are women that like have been coaching really good programs and they're running like 425, 430 in the mile. And then you show that to like women who are like running like 603, 604 in the mile. And they're like, wait, this is possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just like one of those things where like we need to coach better. We need to let women run with men and then also let non-binary people run with everybody. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break for commercials and we'll be right back with our guest. And we're back. I have a question about how this affects cis people too, because 
there's been all this stuff with testing hormones and now they want to do like genital checks on people and like saying that, oh, this this woman won this race, so she must be trans. Like, can you talk about the ways in which this is, I mean, let's say someone listening is like, I mean, nobody listening to this show is going to be like, I don't care about trans people, but like, can you explain like people that are against this, this is going to start affecting you and your kids. Yeah, I mean, genital checks in general are just way too invasive. Letting like a kid like go through that just so like traumatizing just to like compete in sports. And is it like only girls that need to go through that? Like how, right. how, does, how does that even work? I don't know. Like it might like lead like trans people and non-binary people to like try to pursue surgery earlier than they're necessarily like ready for. Um, or like people to sort of present in a way that they don't want to present. Yeah. Um, if you look in the opposite direction. So it's it's harmful to cis people. It's harmful to trans people. It's harmful to non-binary folks. It's, yeah, none of this is good. I mean, it's just the thing of, well, we need to check. Well, this person can't compete because I've seen like, oh, this woman can't compete because she has too high of testosterone levels, but she's a cis woman. Or like they're not taking into account um, that this is just a slippery slope. And and sports is one way in which like we can sort of police people's bodies, which is just exactly what they're trying to do. I mean, like there's so many different like genetic syndromes and also just like other metabolism sort of like issues that somebody may have that may cause them to have elevated testosterone levels. Right. Without like actually having a Y chromosome. Right. So, like somebody with PCOS is going to have elevated testosterone levels. Mm-hmm. Someone like me has like a testosterone level of like four, which was my last check. But then like most of like the cis women that I know are like, from what they've told me, like at least like 40. Right. I don't know. It's it's using testing as a way to like disclude someone from competing as a gender that they are is not just a slippery slope, but also just like medically inaccurate. Yeah, I think that's going to be coming up more and more as a problem. And I also like, you know, I know cis men who are little shrimps and I know cis women who are huge or I know like you're you're talking about you talked before about people getting punished for being successful or victorious at a sport. So someone being very good at a sport, you say, wow, they were really born with a lucky set of genetics that makes them good at this sport or wow, they really trained really hard specifically to be good at this sport. And then, but then if somebody is gender nonconforming, that's all bad that they did that, which is like not what we say about people like who were like, wow, they really are, you know, athletic. They really made the choice. They took what they had, maybe natural talent or not. And they worked hard and they, and they chose to be athletic, but not you. (laughs) I don't think people like necessarily like understand like how good you need to be to be good at women's sports. They somehow think that, like, it's so easy for, like, a cis man to do well in, like, any sort of, like, women's event. But, like, I mean, like, the winner of the Women's Boston Marathon ran, like, 219 or something. Like, what random cis man can do that? (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like it it is such an easy target for people who are transphobic to go after sports in particular. Because like we talked about, it is like the most gendered part of society that it is like, oh, this is where we can pass these rules. This is where we can implement genital checks. This is where we can like 
directly say to a parent, like, as if it's like, oh, well, why would it matter if I have a, if my daughter is in a school with a trans, with a trans girl, like, why would that matter to me? But it's like, yeah, but what if that trans girl is then, you know, beats your daughter, your sister out for the final slot on the sports team that they want, you know, like, it feels like the easiest, like, way to get people riled up is to like focus on the sports of it all. And I don't know how to push back against that. But notice that nobody says that about trans men. Like nobody says like to a boys baseball league, oh, a trans guy is going to take your slot. Right. Nobody says that. Well, because I think there is a a big belief that men are, are physically stronger and more athletic and just like maybe not in like maybe not with like gymnasts, but like in, in contact sports and sports where strength is an element of it. Like, I think there is just like a widely held belief that the, the male body operates differently than the female body. I would body. love to see some random cis guy go up against uh, my friend, Kim, who's very good at dodgeball and will actually smash his face. Like, no, I know, but I'm, I'm not know, saying no, I no, believe I these things. I'm just saying, I think, you know, there are people who, you know, can be completely fine you know like yeah like I think it is hard to say that like oh there's no advantage here that like that that women are just as physically strong as men like that they have a they can make that point they can yeah use that. like there I is know. like I feel like of all of the rhetoric of all of the ways like it's like that's not true that's not true that's not true but then there is for that one point it's kind of like well maybe but then, you know, but like it's also like who cares, you know? <laughs> and it's also like it's 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 also that again, like the wherever you are in your transition, like the testosterone changes stuff, the right. estrogen changes stuff. But nobody says to me like, "Oh, you're on testosterone." Like, "Oh, there you might become an ML, MLB player." Like, nobody <laughs> right. says that to me. You know, nobody says, "Oh, you're on testosterone, so you shouldn't compete." They would say. They would say you still have to compete in the women's division and I would have an advantage. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. I feel like it's I think it's like the hardest. Um, like, I think I think bringing in that how the drugs change the body, bringing in, you know, the coaching. But I do feel like that is like a real sticking point that is kind of difficult sometimes to to debate, if that makes sense. Yeah, because what do you say? Yeah. If they don't want to hear the 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 science. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I do have to say, like, after the Boston Marathon, I saw, like, a lot of, I unfortunately, like, I sh- I shut off my, like, social media for, like, two days after. Really? But then I got, like, texts from, like, my friends being like, hey, are you okay? Like, how are you dealing with all the attention? And I'm like, what attention? <laughs> oh, no. What happened? Um, there were a lot of really, like, bad comments. And, like, I guess, like, my social media presence isn't, like, as big as some of the other, like, non-binary, like, runners' social media presence. And... One of them was, like, a trans man, and, like, I guess, like, a lot of, like, the rhetoric was, like, against them taking testosterone. So, like, they were, like, everybody who was in the non-binary division was either, like, a side male at birth or was taking testosterone, and it was just, like, okay, but, like, why do you care? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially with a non-binary division, it's, like, okay, leave us alone. We're literally trying to do a totally different, like... We, we, we got, we left you guys alone. So leave us alone. Yeah. But what was the, I am curious, like after you won, what was the pot, what was the like most positive stuff that happened? Well, some of the funniest, like positive stuff that happened was just like 
random like old friends, but then also just like exes, weird dates, and <laughs> with all the people that like I had not really contacted in my life had all just like poured into like my DMs and just congratulated me. <laughs> I thought that was really cool, but also just really funny. And I'm like, wow, I guess like maybe I made like a big enough impact on them that they like wanted to like reach out to me. And I got like a lot of support from like a lot of my closest friends. Like I think that was like the biggest thing. Like they were all this like so happy for me. Um, mm-hmm. Got to celebrate with them after. And like it was just, I don't know, it was just like really interesting because like I actually had no idea that I like won it when I finished the Boston Marathon. I just finished the Boston Marathon. I was like drenched in rain. I was like shivering, like feeling like I was going to go into hypothermia, kind of like was hobbling, trying to collect all the stuff that they give you after the race. And then just trying to like find a place where I can just sit inside. And like there wasn't like a piece of tape that I needed that I broke. They didn't give me anything like <laughs> day of. Like I just, I was just like, okay, I finished. Somebody else must have finished like ahead of me was my thought. And then when I was like heading back, I got like an email being like, hey, you won the non-binary division. And I was like, whoa, that is so cool. But like, why didn't you tell me this before? <laughs> Did you do a lot of press or was, were there a lot of non-binary athletes writing to you or in a positive sense? Because we know what the fucked up people were probably saying. But the coolest thing was Chris Mosier commenting on the Ronald's World article about me. I thought that was really cool. Who's he? Chris Mosier is a, um, the first, I think. Trans athlete to qualify for the Olympic trials, and I think it's in the triathlon, but I'm not not completely sure. Uh, <laughs> go look that up. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad. I think it'll be. I think it's nice to be a like a a groundbreaker, a barrier breaker. You know, not to. I guess those are running puns in some way, but yeah, like it's it's very cool. It's very very cool. Okay. Overall, a really really cool experience and. There's a chance I may run the Chicago Marathon in the fall. So, like, we'll we'll see. The whole experience with Boston was kind of overwhelming and, like, really took way too much of my time, like, those two to three weeks after. Just mental time. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was, like, cool doing all the press stuff, but then just, like, emotionally processing all of that. So I was like, should I do Chicago? Should I not do Chicago? Um, two of my best friends are doing Chicago, so that'd be really cool to do it with them. But then it's more attention on you in this way. Yeah. Yeah. And I like trail running so much more than road running. Like trail running is just so much more <laughs> badass. And yeah. I, I see myself as a badass person. So like I want to do that. <laughs> wow. Well, congratulations. And I hope you do do Chicago. Hey. I, I would love to now test your abilities playing a game <laughs> show called Hypotheticals. Okay. <laughs> We'll see. If, we'll see if you come in first here. Probably is Probably, my guess. Yeah. Is my guess. Um, <laughs> so in this game, you and Gabe are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. Then you tell me what you would do in that situation, and I uh, subjectively pick a winner. Okay. So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of 32 years confesses that they tried to hit on your cousin eight years ago at a family event while drunk, but got turned down. And that's why you haven't been invited to your cousin's Thanksgiving dinner for years. Oh, my God. Would you stay with this cheater? Kay, your thoughts? 
My thoughts are that it's possibly not a one-time event. I mean, like, <laughs> if this person revealed this and because you haven't, like, been invited to your cousin's events, it's probably happened before, but this is, a t- this is why your partner did disclose this to you. Right. They had to. They were forced to talk to tell you why. My inclination is no, but... Oh, how long ago did this happen? You've been with them for 32 years and this happened eight years ago. And are they continue? Do they continue to be attracted to my cousin? Well, they haven't seen your cousin in a long time, but they said that they were just drunk and they like just, you know, they just sort of messed up and 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 they're and they're embarrassed about it. Okay, but everybody knows about it. And that's why I'm not invited to Thanksgiving. Oh, I don't know if everyone knows, but your cousin knows and doesn't want your partner around. Why the hell did my cousin not tell me? That's a great question. I don't forgive anyone. (laughs) I forgive. I don't forgive him. I don't forgive the cousin. Everyone's dead to me. I need a new family. Wow. Gosh. And for eight years, you thought your cousin just didn't like you all of a sudden. That's what I'm saying. That's what I feel like is almost worse than the cheating is like letting you think that it's your fault. You weren't invited anymore. Yeah. I'm mad at my cousin. <laughs> I guess that's totally fair. All right. So we're all we're all leaving the cheater. Yeah, we're leaving. Yeah. And we're going back to. No, we're not even going back to the old. No, we're not dinner. going back to the family because the family are a bunch of liars. Okay. Yeah, disown the family. <laughs> disown the family. Break up with your partner. Move away. Great. Start a new tradition where you don't even celebrate Thanksgiving. Exactly. <laughs> Move to Canada. Do Canadian Thanksgiving instead. <laughs> Okay, our next game. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, eight, wants to wear high heels to school, even though you think they are too young. After a total breakdown crying fit, you let them wear three-inch heels. They then promptly sprain their ankle at recess and are injured for weeks, but never want to wear heels again. Oh, my God. Are you a terrible parent? Oh, my God. Wait, so they, they never want to wear heels again after this incident? Yeah. But is it something that could change later? Like, did they look fabulous in those heels? That's what I want to know. They did look fabulous, but, you know, three-inch heels are, are a lot. I couldn't even get them to do a wedge? No, they wanted to wear these three-inch heels, and they really, they sprained both ankles and were oh my really God. injured for a long time. Oh, my God. Well, okay, I'm a bad parent because I didn't have them practice on the heels. in the house before going out. You know what I mean? You have to practice. You can't just be going out in heels willy-nilly. You got to wear them for a while. Mm. I think I'm bad parent because I didn't get them a wedge shoe. And I'm a bad... They didn't want to wear a wedge shoe. They were insisting that they wore this one specific pair that was three inches. I should have had them wear them around the house for a few weeks to practice. So that's my fault. Did they want to, like, wear it that day? Or should, like... Was it like, oh, I want to wear it like a few weeks in advance? I don't think kids can think out that far. But Yeah, they wanted to wear it that day and they were freaking out that day. Where'd they get the shoes? Your neighbor gave it to them as a birthday gift. Wow. So this is really my neighbor's fault. <laughs> so my neighbor is a terrible neighbor, actually. This is you always finding other ways to blame other people. Yeah. This is actually, are you a terrible neighbor? And oh the answer God. is yes. King of deflection. I mean, yeah. like a runner, like... The first time I wore heels, I wore like, I think it was like, they were like five inch heels. And I ended up running back home drunk from a 
from a bar later that night. I did not sprain both ankles. So I think it's the kids' fault for <laughs> not being good on <laughs> good on their feet. <laughs> what about the, aren't they the in her shoes walks? You know what I mean? It's like, I know my brother told me that he does like a thing in San Diego where they walk in heels. Guys oh, really? walk in heels. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know if they're running. I don't think they're running. They are running. My producer says they are running. Yeah, so my kid sucks. <laughs> <laughs> We're back to Does Your Child Suck, the actual name oh, of this game. No. Okay, well, I guess if you if you two both think that. I, I'm on the, you're maybe not a terrible parent because you let them do it and then they saw the repercussions, perhaps. But now what if they have ankle problems for the rest of their lives? Yeah, then you are a bad parent. Right. I think kids have a remarkable ability to to like recover from ankle injuries, especially that young. I think they're fine. So then, yeah, they're fine. Their legs are basically jelly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Our final game. Is this a date? You are at the vet and your dog starts to try to play with the dog next to you in the waiting room. You and the other owners start talking as the dogs hit it off. And the owner asks if you want to go to a nearby dog park after your appointment so the dogs can keep hanging out. Is this a date? Yes. Oh, why? I don't know, because the dogs won't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think they're trying to get you to a second location. They're going to, you guys are going to end up talking. I feel like it is a date. That's like very similar to like, oh, I have like a kid that's the same age as your kid. And like, let's have them hang out. But then at the same time, we can hang out too. Right. I guess my question is, what makes it romantic vibes instead of friendship vibes? You're feeling it out. You're feeling it out. How, how, how. Okay, I don't know because I think everything's romantic. Vibes. Yeah, or yeah. Does a date have to be romantic? Can it be a friendship date? In wow. this game, it does. It means a rom. Okay. In the in the parameters of is this a date world? It is a romantic date. I think it's a romantic date if you make it a romantic date. Oh, just play within my rules. I think it is a date. Okay. I think it's a date because that's like a a rom com meet cute. Yeah. Right. I think it would be a great story if it worked out. (laughs) It's probably going to be like, let's have our dogs hang out all the time. And then we're just going to like chat about life, but like not actually do anything romantic. Okay. So you think it's friendship? I think it's going to end up in a friendship vibe. Isn't this the plot of 101 Dalmatians? It is? Yeah. Their dogs start playing and then they start and then they get together. I've never seen. I don't remember anything about that movie. Where does Cruella DeVille like end up in this? Yeah, where is yeah. she from? Oh, so then they, so then the the woman works for Cruella. The guy works for Cruella? No, the woman. Oh, in the film, in the live action, the woman works for Cruella. And then. You uh, saw the live action? Okay, wow. Melissa's <laughs> <laughs> saying it was good. Glenn was Close good. murdered that role. Natasha Richardson plays the woman. It's an incredible film. Well, this is a lot to talk about offline, but thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Where can everyone find you if you want to be found? You can follow me at uh, Trans Runner Girl. That's my Instagram handle. That's Amazing. so cute. <laughs> That's so cute. Thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about hypermobility spectrum disorder. Between us, it's time for topic. X X X X X. Baby. 
baby, baby. Ooh, I love Ooh, it. Operatic. Wow, we really worked with each other. <laughs> I was being flexible. <laughs> <laughs> that joke will make more sense in a minute. Um, so I have been on a medical journey for the last few months, as the two of you know. Mm-hmm. One of many. One of, many. <laughs> One of a few medical journeys. <laughs> and um, I posted about this on my Instagram, but I haven't really talked about it on the podcast before, which is I basically have a lot of health problems and I've had a lot of health problems for a while. Name them. Well, as fans of the pod will know, I have big time knee issues where I mm-hmm. uh, my knees like to sublux and dislocate and so when I was 17 I had to get surgery on my left knee so it would stop the kneecap would stop moving and I would stop collapsing and then um on my right leg I had the first dislocation in February 2021 got surgery on February 2022 I'm still recovering from that surgery and in pain every single day and then I also have a lot of stomach issues. I've been diagnosed with irritable bowel. I have a really bad acid reflux. I got diagnosed with SIBO um, oh last year for the first time and had a second bout of it more recently. I have headaches rather frequently and also um, pretty uh, bad dry eye. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of operating like, well, that's life, baby. Sure. (laughs) I was like, yeah, "Yeah, this is what it's like to be alive. You're uncoverable all the time and you have a lot of problems. (laughs) And so what has changed your mindset on that? (laughs) So honestly, John being bearing witness to my health issues, I think has started to me think about like, yeah, what is going on? Like, I guess it's not normal. I mean, before I got treated for the SIBO, I was like, everyone's just like very gassy all the time and goes to the bathroom a lot. And that's just like normal stuff. And then he was like, no. Oh. <laughs> um, and once I got better from the SIBO the first time, I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but right now I've had a stomach ache for hours. So I, something's still happening. Yeah. Um, and then I think another really big thing that happened was my mom had a ton of health issues following COVID. She got COVID in August of last year and then got, you know, I think I've talked about got like a fever every day and Mm -hmm. had months of medical testing and figured out she has something called like giant cell armatitis vascular disease that was like pretty obviously caused by COVID. But uh, throughout her, all of her testing, like um, her rheumatologist kind of brought up the idea that she might have EDS, which I can't pronounce, but it stands for Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Yeah, wonderful. And I mentioned that I had had PTs ask me about that, too. But in my head, I was like, EDS is when all of your joints like move. And I was like, I just have knee problems. I don't have other I don't have problems throughout my body. But it turns out that as I was like looking more and more into it, I was like, oh, I I have a lot of this stuff. And because it can also really cause gastro problems. Mm And so they asked my mom if she wanted to be tested for it, which like is kind of misleading because like actually for hypermobility EDS, you can't test for it genetically yet. You can only test for other subtypes. Mm. Um, It has to be diagnosed clinically. But she was like, well, is there anything you can even really do? And and the woman was like, not really, not unless you have stomach issues. And I was like, and so she was like, Allison, you go figure this out. (laughs) Because you have way more. My mom doesn't have stomach issues like I do. And so I 
was given like kind of a runaround. I like saw one rheumatologist who said that the only way I could get diagnosed was through a genetic testing. So I went to a genetic counselor who told me the only way I could be diagnosed was through a clinical diagnosis. And I'm sure this will be relatable to a lot of people because you've been through a lot of medical runaround. Yes. And then I went to a second rheumatologist who was actually like in the same office as the first one. Oh, my God. So I had to call and be like, hey, I saw Dr. Blank, but then this uh, but she told me this and then the genetic counselor told me that Dr. Other Blank is the one who would clinically diagnose me. Can I switch patients to her? Like, it was like very awkward. So much work for you. Um, And so I went in, you know, for another full like appointment. You know, these appointments are like an hour long with the rheumatologist. I went in for a second one. Basically, she concluded that I don't hit the diagnostic criteria for EDS because I couldn't do a couple of things. Like I couldn't make my thumb touch my wrist and I couldn't pull out my neck skin mm-hmm. for a full uh, end. Yeah. But I have other things where I can like easily put my palms on the floor. My elbows bend further than other people's. Oh. Um, I have like weird little like bubble stuff on my feet, I guess, from the skin. I obviously my knees are hyperextended. Like I can touch the ground with my palms. Like, you know, I have a lot of other things. And then I also have like the stomach, the issues. stomach issues. And So it was like one of those really frustrating things where I was like, she was like telling me stuff and I knew I wasn't going to remember. So I like took notes on my phone. Oh, yeah. So what do the notes say? Okay, so let's review the notes for my meeting with the rheumatologist. Okay. Okay. So basically she told me that I'm at risk for arthritis. Sure. And I need to do PT for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Wow. Fun. Mm -hmm. What a fun thing to hear. Aquatic or land based. But she recommended aquatic. And I was like, lady... Let's be realistic here. (laughs) I'm not doing PT for the rest of my life. But basically, I have to do strength training for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So my goal is to get out of... I'm still in PT for my knee, but next week's actually supposed to be my last session. Hey. So I'm hoping I can just keep things up on my own because it's expensive and time consuming. Mm -hmm. So I don't have... I don't have classic hypermobility EDS by physical exam, but I have a lot of the minor features, Mm -hmm. which basically I have some sort of hypermobility connective tissue syndrome, unspecified connective tissue disorder. I don't know. I was like writing down all this stuff, but that explains the knee. Yes. And so basically I shared about this on Instagram and it was so nice because all these people wrote back like with information through their journeys. And they basically said that it's likely that I have hypermobility spectrum disorder. Okay. And like EDS is just requires more. EDS has more specific criteria Mm -hmm. than an HSD Mm -hmm. diagnosis. But I like looked it up on and on the Ehlers-Danlos Society, they say, what is EDS? And it says hypermobility spectrum disorders are connective tissue disorders that cause joint hypermobility instability, injury, and pain, other problems such as fatigue, headaches, GI problems, and autonomic dysfunction are often seen as part of HSD. Wow. And so it's this weird thing because my OCD is like, yeah, but you don't have it. Mm. Oh, my God. My OCD was like, you needed the EDS diagnosis or it's not real. Oh, my God. (laughs) So a lot of people had good information under your post? Yeah, I think that this is kind of, you know, a common thing. And and it is like, I just have to keep up my strength training. It was interesting. She was like, don't do yoga. (laughs) She was like, because it's too much. Yeah. She was like, don't put yourself in positions where you're where you're pushing 
how flexible your body is yeah. because you can end up getting hurt. Really? Yeah. So the first rheumatologist was even like, even if you have something like in the backseat of your car and you can like technically reach it, you shouldn't. Huh. Really? A lot of the, the things that you're saying now, I'm like, I need to tell my sister because I feel like she has this too. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? She might. I think it's pretty common. Yeah. So but what she do you can do? bend her thumb oh, down. So then she's definitely and her, and her knees look like this. <laughs> They're Whoa. curved. Yeah, my knees are curved. Yeah, I know. I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Hers are actually a little bit more than yours are. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, so if what do you guys do? What do you do if you have it? It's like, it's just you live with it and you have to like do preventative stuff. So it's like, I, I think I just have to keep up strength training like forever. Yeah. And then I don't really know about the stomach issues or the headaches. Um, I am seeing a neurologist this month, I think. I kind of go through spurts. Like I haven't had a headache in a bit, but I'll go through like a week or two where I get like a headache every day. Yeah. Which is really annoying. So I have a question. Yeah. A more broad question. Oh, please. So in your post, I think you mentioned talking about like chronic illness and chronic pain and stuff. And so I was wondering about like the chronic pain of it all. Like, is there is that did you find a lot of people responding to that? Did you is there like um tips or something? Like, what do you think about sort of the chronic pain of of it all and like the way that that's treated, you know? Well, I actually am really hesitant to even claim chronic illness. Like, I feel like but the, you have chronic pain. I have chronic pain. Yeah, I, okay, I'm not, so- I don't know if I don't. It's hard, right? Because technically I'm still recovering from the surgery. So I'm like, when does it become I'm not when does it become chronic pain versus recovery? When did I'm just curious, when did the doctor say that you're out of recovery? Like, when, what's the timeline right, on that? Right. Well, I'm already I'm already been recovering longer than most people. OK. OK. So, so <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know, like, it's like, oh, my knee hurts every day, but then maybe in six months it won't anymore. I, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? But when do you put it into that? Like, wh- what's, when's the, you can't, like, right. if you keep moving the goalposts, then right. when's the end where you're like, okay, now this is chronic pain? Mm-hmm. I think when other people tell me I can claim that. Oh my God, Allison. <laughs> do they have to be professionals? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I think, okay, regardless of whether you're claiming it, your current reality is that you are in pain in various ways. So whatever. So that's your current reality. Mm -hmm. So how do you like, I guess you are able to see that that is the reality because of John reflecting it back to you. But now what do you do? Well, honestly, I think that like as much as my OCD is like, how dare you say you have something that you can't have 100% definitive proof over, even though everything seems to point to yeah, yes. Yeah, geez. Like allowing myself to to say that I have hypermobility spectrum yeah. disorder is actually a way that I can feel a lot better because I'm able to then like be kinder to myself about my pain instead mm-hmm. of like where it used to be like, oh, I should just like always push through this or like, oh, this is normal or like, Oh, like, you know, uh, like, you're just weak. You're just not persevering. Yeah, or, like, or I'm or I'm taking care of myself poorly. And that's why I don't feel well. Right, or like, right, right. You know, like it's actually feel like really exciting and nice to be able to be like, oh, this makes a lot of things make sense. Instead of me being like, oh, I got to f- solve this mystery. And now this mystery and now right. this mystery, just being able to be like, oh, these are symptoms of this umbrella issue that my body has. And so I don't need to like devote so much time and energy to trying to solve why it's happening. And instead I can just like manage the symptoms and, or just like be kind to myself with the symptoms. Yeah. 
you know, like it's, but it's also like a weird thing, right? Because it's a spectrum, right? So I'm obviously still, I have a lot more functionality than a lot of other people. Like right. I can run now, I can, I can walk for long periods of time. Like I can do all this stuff. And like, I can sit here and record four podcasts in one day with a stomach ache. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, and so I think it's like reminding myself that, that just because I can do things doesn't mean that like, I don't, you know. This is what I was going to say. But the thing is, is that you're the type of person who would push through that anyway, which is like for better or worse, you know? I think if I'm pushing through it for me, then that's great. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like if yeah. I, like, I don't, like I can sit here and record right now. And so right. I, I want to, like I can, you know, still do physical activity even though my knee hurts. Right. Like I'd rather just like, like I, I'm I'm figuring out my relationship with my body and like when I want to push it, when I don't want to. But I think having a reason for feeling bad actually like makes me feel much better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just like this is what people go through. This is what bodies yeah. are. But no, this yeah. is or I'm just being reason. a little bitch. Or yeah. I'm like oh just, my God. You know what I mean? You were like, that's just normal for right. everyone. But right. no, there's a reason. Right. And so like if I need to, you know, like, this morning I thought like maybe I should like do remote, you know, like mm-hmm. and in the future, like if I need to like do remote recording because my stomach's off or like if I need to get bring a cane with me or at an airport, use a wheelchair because like I'm having a flare up, like just being able to be like, that's fine. Like mm-hmm. that's uh, that I, I can push through when I want and I don't have to push through yes, when I don't want 100%. to. Yes. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I really am so thankful to all the you know, disability activists that I follow online who have like so normalized that thought process for me, you know, like growing up, like my mom couldn't do a lot of things because of her knees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, oh, mom has bad knees. But when I think about it and I'm like, oh, it's my mom might be disabled. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. There is just this thing that like it, it, it just like, I don't know. It just like gives you a little freedom and a little like self compassion. Mm-hmm. with that and and I, I bet she would push back on me and, and say that she's not but like but that's because of I think old-timey ideas of what that word means yeah but it is and and even my understanding of you know because I've spent the last year and a half like pretty physically disabled yeah but like I also am like very cognizant of not trying to claim a term that sure. like I'm not part of that community yeah but it could be you there is you can be temporarily and right. in and out and like, you know, yeah, it's a different exactly. type of community. Totally. Like how I'm only temporarily gay. <laughs> I will say the thing that that the diagnosis did bring up for me was worrying about John and being afraid that if I get worse, like if I become more physically disabled with time, yeah. if like he will feel like, oh, I didn't sign up for this do you know what i mean um but he's the one that's been encouraging you to well i brought up those fears to him and he he uh assuaged them obviously but i did like feel like oh like you know like one of the main things we like bonded over is that like we both love tennis and like what happens if like i can't play tennis anymore you know or like i can't go do like the fun adventures that like maybe he thought he'd be able to do with his partner. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know like what my body will or will not be able to do, but like, and you also don't know what his body I was might about be to able to do in the future. He either. could get hit by a truck tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. And I think that should be comforting to you. 
Yeah, but you know, I did like that. I think I it was weird that my fears weren't even necessarily about myself because I I have spent the the recovery from this knee surgery has been so brutal and yeah. so intense that I'm like, okay, I know what it's like to live pretty disabled and I can do that and I'm okay with that. Yeah. But like I felt worried about him, if that makes uh, sense. Um, but we've talked about it and I've been told I'm being silly. So <laughs> I'll run him over with my car. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So I don't know. And I, 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 I've been very thankful to, you know, like people on Instagram who've sent me more information about it. And I, I'd love to hear from more people on here. And um, yeah, it's interesting. But I think I think claiming that diagnosis will will even if I have some discomfort around it will like do me a lot more um good than harm yeah Mm -hmm. yeah sorry I don't know why I'm crying I know why I mean I know why do you want to hold my hand um okay (laughs) I know that you don't want to hold mine and that's (laughs) that's my gift to you what do we rate this episode I rate it 26.2 out of 25 marathons. Do you get it? Oh, very good. Yeah, it's very good. Thank you. I was thinking about it. I will rate it 78 out of 52 messy situationships. Mm. I'll rate it 50 out of 30. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Not the show. I just mean like, it's okay. Like. But your body goes through things. Yeah. Like gray hair, for example. Yeah, I've got <laughs> a few. Yeah? Hmm? You keep them? You're going to keep them? They're there. I haven't dyed them. Yeah. We're going to look so distinguished. Well, thank you to Kay Ravi Chandran for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabe Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, you can follow this podcast at Just Between Us Pod on TikTok and at JBU Podcast on Instagram. Also, I'm on Instagram now at Gabe S. Dunn. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Raskin. And on TikTok at, at Allison Raskin Baby. And I'm on TikTok as Dabby Gun. So branding's going really well over here. Yeah, good luck finding us. Forever. Dog. <laughs>